0: Have you heard The Message? An original science fiction podcast from Panoply and GE Podcast Theater. All of season one is available now, so listen and find out why a 70-year-old alien recording seems to be killing people. Search for The Message on iTunes.
1: This episode of the Vulture TV podcast is brought to you by See It. See It is a simple way to start keeping track of all your favorite TV shows. It's always with you on your laptop, tablet, and phone. Visit S E E. .it/vulture and start adding shows to your personal watch list today.
2: Experience the most delicious, entertaining and bizarre parts of life in the big city with New York Magazine's collection of podcasts, available exclusively from Panoply. Tune into the Grub Street podcast for restaurant trends that'll soon be sweeping the country. Catch exclusive interviews with the stars of your favorite TV shows with the Vulture TV podcast. And check out Sex Lives for intimate discussions of sex in the real city. It's like taking a trip to New York from the comfort of your earbuds.
1: The following podcast contains spoilers. Check the episode description to see the exact times of the segments that contain spoilers. The following podcast contains explicit language.
0: Welcome to the Vulture TV Podcast. I'm your host, Gazella Amami. On this week's show, we're looking back at our top TV shows of 2015, both new and old. That's coming up, but first, if you have any questions for us or ideas for topics you'd like to hear, leave us a voicemail at 646 646- 504-7673 or email us at tvquestions@vulture.com. at I'm here with Vulture TV columnist Margaret Lyons and TV critic Matt Zoller-Seitz. Hey Gazelle. Hi Matt. Hi Gazelle. Hi Margaret. So you both selected your top 10 shows of 2015 and you, you had some overlap but you also diverged quite a bit and before we get into that I wanted to get your sense of how TV was this year in general compared to last year, or just what you thought of the the landscape.
3: I, um, you go first. It's very good. Yeah. Uh, there's a
0: lot of good TV. I think there's more good TV more
2: often and more of it than at any previous point in history, and that's an exciting thing for TV fans. It certainly makes being a TV critic a lot more fun. One of the shifts, it's not, this wasn't like the year it changed, but I think this year was sort of, proof that the kind of streaming platforms are not a fluke and that we continue to see good shows coming out of Netflix, from Amazon, from Hulu even. Like, I didn't love Casual, but a lot of other people did really like it. People whose taste I respect and you know, I'm not like, how dare you like that show? So I think seeing that medium develop and and us learning like, oh, there's still going to be interesting good television coming from unexpected places and that that wasn't like a lark that is really going to stay true is probably the big shift. I also think the sort of lack of primacy of HBO Mm -hmm. um, like HBO still had a lot of excellent shows and still probably like the home I think people sort of most strongly associate with prestige programming but I think their stranglehold on being the only game in town is decisively over. Do you think that
0: True Detective did Real damage to their reputation.
3: I don't know about as a brand. I mean, mm-hmm. I think they they win some and they lose some. I think it's certainly been a while since they had an entire season of a show that was widely acclaimed that pretty much nobody liked. I mean, there were a few stalwart defenders of season mm-hmm. two, and I and I certainly heard from them on Twitter. But. Uh, <laughs> But no, I don't think so. I think they'll recover. The question I'm very interested in is are the is you know, is there going to be a third season of True Detective and if so when and who is going to be involved. That's the question
0: we're all wondering. Mm. <laughs> because they just signed a deal with Nick Pizzolatto, but not necessarily for True Detective, right,
3: right? Right. And also I I find it really interesting that you know, in the same calendar year we had two crime-driven anthology series, cable series that both were driven by a writer-auteur, True Detective and Fargo, and one of them really stumbled at Second Time Out, and the other one, I think, improved.
0: Well, let's talk about that show. It was number 10 on your top 10 list, Matt.
3: Yes. Yeah, and I think if I'd had a chance to see the last couple of episodes before filing, I had to write that list early because it was going in the magazine. I think it might, I might have put it a little higher. But I thought it was tremendous. Do we want to read our lists before we yeah. go down this road? Why
0: don't you start with 10 and make your way down to
3: one? Okay. <laughs>
0: Just for dramatic effect.
3: All right. So number 10. And I should say that I had another 10 shows underneath this as alternates. And those weren't published <laughs> in the magazine. But, uh, but people were asking me, where's Justified? Where's Difficult People? Where's The Nick? Mm-hmm. I thought you loved this show. I thought you loved this show. Why isn't it on your list? And the answer is because there's so much good TV. And it doesn't mean, you know, the fact that Justified didn't crack my top 10 and in what was one of its best seasons, like one of the best of its six seasons, doesn't yeah. reflect poorly on Justified. It just means there were 10 other things that I liked more.
0: We're going to start having to do top 50 like they do for music. I think so.
3: <laughs> I think so. Right. And, and in fact, uh, the 10, I was under orders to keep my episodes list to 10. But in past years I've done a list of 25 comedies mm-hmm. and 25 dramas. And uh I I was prepared to do that this year, but I was told just keep it to 10. <laughs> um but but it's again it's a testament to the incredible bounty of television right now. Yeah. So here we go. Uh number 10, a Fargo, FX. Number 9, The Leftovers, HBO, which was just renewed. And I should For a say third
0: and final season. A
3: third and final season by Damon Lindelof, the uh executive producer's choice. He he wants to end it at 3. And I will also say that had I had a chance to see the very last episode before turning in this list, it would have ranked much higher. Mm. Number 8 Blackish, ABC. Number seven, Jessica Jones, Netflix. There were a lot of great first season shows this year, a lot of them on streaming platforms. But I thought that was all together in terms of performance, writing, and filmmaking the best. Uh, Number six, Rectify, which I thought was just extraordinary. I think it's been great in previous seasons, but they really kicked it up a notch. And I've got one more and then they're out. Number five, Show Me a Hero, David Simon's adaptation of Lisa Belkin's book about the Yonkers housing crisis, just terrific, and it really felt like a missing season of The Wire to me, just great. Uh, number four was BoJack Horseman, which I liked a lot in its first season. But again, this is a year when second seasons really, really, really kicked, shows up a whole other level, I think. And and I wrote a piece recently about how second seasons, for me, often retroactively, kind of define what the show actually is. Um, mm-hmm. And I think this was definitely a case of that. Number three was Mad Men. Some people expressed surprise that it wasn't number one, considering I, I wrote an entire book about that show. But again, this is a testament to the overall quality of television this year. Season seven of Mad Men, the back half I thought was terrific. Um, I liked it even more than some people who adore the show did. But I don't think it's one of the strongest seasons. You know, I would I would definitely say it's maybe four but uh, it's the number three show of the year, and there's hundreds of television shows, so fans of the show, just be happy. Number two is The Americans. I don't know how it's possible that this show can keep getting better and refining its excellence, but they do it somehow. And they had some individual episodes that were some of the best episodes of television that I have ever seen this year. And and that alone is why The Americans placed above Mad Men because of a handful of episodes, particularly Stingers. And then number one was Hannibal. And uh, I didn't see. Han- I don't know if anybody else, but Hannibal is their number one show. Maybe they did. But <laughs>
0: did you do? Did you put it as your? Number I did. One I last put it as, as well? my
3: number one show last year, and I really think that that show is um, pushing the, the expressive possibilities of this medium forward in ways that we have only begun to appreciate.
2: Margaret, number ten was a uh, Broad City. I thought the season of Broad City was just really wonderful. Number nine last week tonight with John Oliver. I think that show continues to like really hammer home what its deal is it has like a very clear set of ideas and i just think week to week you can't pick a bad episode like it just is so well done uh number eight the last alaskans like one of my sort of pet shows of the year that's on (laughs) animal planet um it just to me was like oh we're still making really terrific documentary television um and the sort of poisoned hand of reality tv hasn't gripped every inch of tv (laughs) the way that we sometimes fear uh number seven catastrophe i just thought that was yeah one of the most like charming original special shows i remember i mean i've watched it now a couple times over i continue to be really really impressed by how character driven its comedy is and and how much story it manages to cover in so little time uh, number six, Unreal. That was one of my that just knocked oh, yeah. me a good over. Show. I thought that it's was great. a really great show. Uh, I also think that it was doing more than a lot of other great shows this year. I think it sort of decided what it wanted to be about and was able to accomplish being about those things with unbelievable accuracy. Number five, BoJack Horseman. I just love that show. I think to Matt's point about like second seasons this year really having this being a great year for second seasons. That's super true. I I loved the first season of BoJack, and I think in the second season. I was nervous going in that it would be more of the same, that you would kind of run out of juice on, on some of their ideas, and I it didn't at all, and it became richer and funnier and, and darker, and I just was super impressed by all of it. Number four, Jane the Virgin. I think that show is a masterpiece, and I think it gets maligned or misunderstood or sort of not considered among the greats, even though it is, I think... Its second season has been terrific. I think the way it approaches storytelling is really special. And I also think, compared to a lot of other prestige shows, this is, I think, the only network show on my list. So they're making a lot more episodes of television than its competitors or its brethren even begin to approach. So I think it's also playing at like a slightly different difficulty level. Number three, The Americans. I mean, we could talk about The Americans forever and often do. Um, <laughs> yeah. I love it. Number two, Transparent. I feel like I was like kind of cheating because mm-hmm. the second season doesn't come out until December 11th, I guess, right? Well, yes. But I had seen screeners of season two, and it's a show that I adore and am fascinated by. And I think the second season is wonderful and my number one show of the year. And number one in my heart for a long time is Mad Men. <laughs> uh, even though I agree that the seventh season, like 7B, is not the best season of Mad Men, I still thought it was the best season of television this year. And I think, you know, something we talked about on the podcast a couple weeks ago about shows learning how to do finales, I think bringing Mad Men in for a landing is such a high degree of difficulty. Yep. And for a long time I thought it was sort of like an unwinnable fight. that There would just actually never be a good finale for Mad Men. And I was kind of convincing myself in like a contrarian way that bad finales make shows last longer in the public consciousness. And so you could secretly wish for a bad finale so it would stay part of the conversation more. Hmm. Like, I don't think anyone would still be talking this much about Lost, right? The sort of more contentious the finale, the more part of the conversation, it remains. And so I was like trying to convince myself that it would be okay if Mad Men had a bad finale, but it didn't have a bad finale. It had a terrific finale. And that was a really difficult thing to do in sort of the TV year of 2015. And mm-hmm. I was glad to see
3: it. That was the perfect way to end that show. And it was consistent with the way that they have told the story and developed their characters over seven seasons, which is it rare, the show rarely does exactly what you expect it will do. And often it does things that you, you you sit there and go, huh, and then you have to sit with it for a while, and then you ultimately conclude, yeah, that feels like the right thing yeah. to do.
2: There were a lot of shows I liked, and for a variety of reasons, felt like I couldn't or shouldn't or just simply didn't put them on my top 10, but I would
0: still hold in, like, tremendous esteem. Yeah. Yeah, I don't have a top 10 list to share, but I did want to call out three shows that I really love this year that all are new shows, one of which is Fresh Off the Boat, mm-hmm. which we... Again, going back to that second season theme we've been seeing this year, Fresh Off the Boat is a show we saw the first season of early in the year, and then we've seen the first half of the second season. And I think in this second season, we've really seen the show mature, and I've really enjoyed how the focus has become stronger and stronger on the parents, Mm -hmm. Louis and Jessica, and their comedic dynamic is just brilliant. And yeah, I just, I think it's, it's a show with a lot of heart that just keeps getting stronger.
3: Fresh Off the Boat, Blackish and The Goldbergs are three shows that are doing a similar thing very differently, mm-hmm. and they are painting a very, very specific portrait of of you know a way of life in a way that feels universal. And I've and to me that's why I put Blackish so high on my list because not only is it just a flat out great show, and this again I say something corny every single week, but I feel like a show like Blackish is is helping move things forward in this country. Mm -hmm. You know, like, that sounds like a heavy burden to place on that show, but, like, I I think it's a show that's going to stand the test of time, and it's gotten more and more and more confident, like, to the point where now it feels like it's part of my life. It's, like, part of the institution of television, and I think it's only going to get better as it goes along.
0: The other show I wanted to call out is The Jinx, just purely because its finale was literally a jaw-dropping moment for, for all of us, I think, and I'd never seen anything like it. And that was on my list for best new shows. And that, in my,
2: like, honorable mentions, The Jinx was very high on that list. I, uh, there was so little else that fascinated me the way The Jinx fascinated me.
3: I hated that show when all <laughs> was said and done. I did. I did. But I can't deny that it it held my attention. It held my yeah. attention all the way through, and I had no idea what it was going to do from one moment to the next. And I thought the finale was bullshit on a lot of levels. And we talked about we this. Did. but But – I'm not, gonna, I'm not going to. I'm not going to deny <laughs> that it was one of the most significant and interesting shows of the yeah. year.
0: and then lastly, Deutschland '83,
3: which mm.
0: God, you know, it's such a good show.
3: So
2: yeah, that was on my so new shows good. list. That
0: was pro- that's probably my twelfth show. That was like yeah. really, really in the
2: running. <laughs> this,
3: this is, this is a- one of these things where you just lie to everyone. Like, <laughs> why isn't blah 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 on the list? Like that was number eleven.
0: Again, like there's just too many. There's too many good shows, and I'm just naming three. That, like I could name twenty more that I love this year, but that show really like. I think if you already love the Americans and you have this kind of thirst for this spy drama, the Deutschland 83 is such a nice compliment because it's not quite as severe and dark as the Americans. There's like a more buoyant feel to it. Mm-hmm. And the summer, like, it was like one of the few great shows aside from Mr. Robot. I mean, no, there were actually a lot of great shows Mr. This summer,
3: Robot! But Fucking Mr. Robot, Robot. Yeah. yeah.
0: And it's, you know, it's German, it's subtitled, the performances are amazing, like... Just just a brilliant summer show that I wouldn't have expected to be a summer show. Can you show, hand
3: me it... that pen over there? Because yes. there's so many shows that I want to <laughs> like shout out here. Like, That's how much great TV there was this year. Yeah. There are shows that in another year would have easily cracked my top ten that I'm like, I forgot about. <laughs> I mean, that's how good yeah. it was. And even a show like Mr. Robot, which I thought the first half of the first season was, was brilliant and close to perfect. And I think it started to lose it in the second half for me. But that first half alone... Would have been enough to land it in the top ten, and it you know three four years ago probably.
2: I also think there's probably shows that would be in both of our top ten that we simply didn't
3: get to. Well, no, and I was going to mention Crazy Ex-Girlfriend is a show where I saw the first like three episodes of that, and then um, we were going to interview the creator of the show, and I binge watched everything you know up to that point, and we were going to talk to her, and I realized, holy shit, this should have been on. If you know, if not my top ten, my expanded list. Yeah. You know, and that's a great show. And I, and I feel like I wish I could go back in a time machine and watch <laughs> all of those shows every single week when they aired. Because now I, I you know, uh, I don't know. You can't put everything in your top yeah. ten.
2: You also just can't watch everything. You know, no. I probably watch uh, in a busy week, probably like 60 hours of television. Yeah. And I still, there's like so many shows. It's just like I just didn't watch it. Not for any like good reason. Just you can't
0: watch everything. Before we move on, a word from our sponsors. Today's show is brought to you by The Message, an original science fiction podcast from Panoply and GE Podcast Theater.
2: Hi, Nikki Tomlin here, and I'm the host of The Message. I'm going to take you into an elite cryptography think tank and check it out. Their top project right now is to decode a highly classified radio transmission from the 1940s.
3: Have you listened to it yet?
1: Not yet. Uh, We're having a discussion about that. But if I offered you the chance to listen to it right now... Um, Sounds like a no.
0: Well, we don't really know what it is. Voices,
3: music, breathing. But, you know, I'm not going to mess with that thing.
0: To sum it up...
2: Extraterrestrials...
1: Subscribe to The Message
0: on iTunes.
1: Search for The Message on iTunes. This episode of the Vulture TV podcast is brought to you by See It. How often do your friends tell you about new shows to watch? And sure, you completely intend to watch them, but when you're on the couch with the remote, you forget. Introducing See It, your answer to keeping track of all your shows. It's free. And you can start adding shows to your personal watch list today by going to see.it slash vulture. The best part is, all you have to do is text a show name, like Fargo, to See It at 73348, and it will be instantly added to your watch list. And come showtime, See It is there for you. You can even get a text reminder. Visit seeit slash vulture or text the name of a show to see it at 73348 and discover the ultimate way to remember all your favorite TV shows and collect them in one place. Start your watch list today.
0: Are there any shows, I mean, Margaret, you, you were an early proponent of being Mary Jane, I think. Mm-hmm. Like I shows, love being which Mary is, Jane. Which got me on board. <laughs> and There are shows we talk about a lot and then there are shows we we love and we we never talk about that maybe we can recommend to listeners like being mary jane for example this is a show on bet that week to week it speaks to like issues that we often talk about in like our media think pieces and everything and does it in such a smart and funny way and yet you know we're not we're not talking about that show as much
2: yeah i mean i think that's a show that to my tremendous delight, continued to get better and better. Mm-hmm. I really liked the first season. There were some parts where I was like, oh, I feel like we're spending a lot of time on this. Or It's like, man, I wish there was like a little bit more of that. And then in season two, I was blown away. I thought season two just started hitting so much harder. And then season three has already continued on that, for me, like correct path. I think Gabrielle Union's fantastic. She plays uh, Mary Jane, a sort of like a news anchor on a cable news network. I also think it combines like really high melodrama soapy stuff. You know, we have disfiguring car accidents and stolen (laughs) sperm and, you know, stuff getting thrown in a pool. Like these very sort of melodramatic moments. But then there's also very open political discourse. There's a lot of conversations about the sort of like state of rich black America. And Mary Jane is in a frequently uncomfortable position. She herself is very wealthy. She has family members, far less so. And she and her friends have interesting conversations about race and politics that, you know, I don't think other shows even think about having. Has a very natural. The ABCs, feel. a
3: lot of the ABC sitcoms do though. I keep beating the drum for them because I think they're so um, they go down easy because they're just so peppy and enjoyable. But I think they're kind of continuing the legacy of Norman Lear from the seventies in a way oh, that I wouldn't speaking have. Speaking of which,
0: the Carmichael Show was another Car- one. And
3: that- the Carmichael Show, God, you know, I I had a soft spot for that. I gave that a really good review, despite I you know not many people did. I think that most most people were pretty mixed on it. But um, yeah, that was a good one too. But I feel like we're entering also an era of not just experimentation in terms of storytelling, characterization, and and filmmaking, but also we're bringing back this 70s sensibility of the television show being intimately connected to life, like to Mm -hmm. life as it is unfolding right now in this country. And that was something that I was looking back over some old pieces that I wrote 15 or 20 years ago, and I was lamenting how in the 90s, We had this trend where there were a lot of shows that were using explicit language and and kind of butting up against the the edge of of the censor's knife with sexual situations, sitcoms, but they had lost the content. Like, they weren't political anymore. Like, they looked at all in the family and saw, like... You know, Archie flushing the toilet and, and you know, Gloria and Meathead getting comprom- stuck in a compromising position. We're like, let's do that. And like everything mm-hmm. else, it was potentially controversial, like really controversial, challenging was left by the wayside. And that stuff started to come back in. And I think that's great. And we saw that on Empire, too. I just yeah. scrolled down a bunch of names of shows here. I'm going to be like Mr. Senior Love Daddy here. But, you know... The most recent season of Homeland, I feel like, is getting back up to steam. The Affair, Silicon Valley, Game of Thrones. What kind of a year is it where I don't even think to put Game of Thrones on my list? That's some high... Normal qu- year. That's, <laughs> Well, that's some high-quality <laughs> yeah. sword and sorcery. It is. You know, I'll give it that. Empire, I thought, you know, kind of had some issues, but still a really vital show. Um, You're the Worst. Another
0: um, second season yes. show that really... To the the
3: point where I think some people were like, do I want to follow it where it's taking me or not? Mm -hmm. And I love that kind of a a, a season. Um, The Nightly Show with Larry Wilmore. That was actually on my expanded, on my top 20. Um, John Oliver, Mr. Robot, Deutschland 83, Justified, The Goldbergs, Jinx, uh, The Jinx. um, Veep. 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 Oh, my God. Veep. Veep. Yeah. Yeah. It's Unreal. 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 I didn't even mean to mention the name of another show, but I mean, (laughs) this situation is unreal.
0: Master of None.
3: Yes. yes. No,
0: yes. I mean in any other year. <laughs> these are all shows that would
3: The final season of Kean Peele, the most recent yeah. season of Inside Amy Schumer.
0: Yep. Oh yeah, that was what
2: Great everyone stuff. was talking about at the beginning of the Also shows like Nathan for You. Mm-hmm, like yeah. that's a show that makes me personally sad because like I get stressed out. Like awkwardness just like stresses me out. Yeah. Uh but I think in terms of like, oh, what should we how shall my show be? And it's going to be this <laughs> and and this is what I'm going to do. Like just on like a fundamental level like that show is deeply impressive I also love Going Deep with
0: David Reese. I think that show is wonderful Um,
1: Review Review
0: yeah also um, animated shows I haven't always been like Mm -hmm. a big watcher of And I got into it mainly this year because of BoJack Horseman, which led me to Rick and Morty. Which is also great. Which is amazing. It's a Dan Harmon show. And another, like... Very intricately plotted.
3: Flowering in season two. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. Again. Exactly. Is that right? Season two? Season two. Yeah. yeah.
0: (laughs) It's... Guys, it's so much much to be thankful for. How many flower petals can we (laughs) toss in
3: this podcast?
0: Were there any episodes in particular that stood out to you this year? I mean, the one that really affected me the most was episode two of Master of None, the parents episode. That was great. That stars Aziz Ansari's own parents. And I felt like that one really, as someone who grew up with immigrant parents, I had really never seen anything anything like that on television before. And it was this unreal moment of seeing yourself reflected in TV that was amazing to watch so many other people feel that way. So there were these kind of transcendent moments on television that Like what you were saying, like we're kind of talking about life again on TV, but doing it in all these different ways, in all these different formats that it's just incredible to watch it happen. I mean, I think you could pick any number of
2: episodes of The Americans that you were really like, Mm -hmm. wow, from sort of start to finish, this has just like it's just like ticking away like so perfectly and so precisely so I feel like I couldn't pick one episode of the Americans even though there's I think I like a bunch I, I love Do Robots Dream of
0: Electric Sheep I believe it's called It was Do Male Robots Do right? Male yes. Robots <laughs> yes. yes The one with where Elizabeth is having a conversation with an old uh, woman whose name I, I forget and at the, the moment she's like forcing the woman to kill herself
2: and she does and it's right. just like holy shit yeah yes. like it's just super effective I mean I yeah that show is really really excellent I think for Mad Men you have to think about person to person but I also think was it the milk and honey route um, that was
3: great I, picked t- I put time and life on my top ten
0: which one?
3: That's the one where things start to crater at the agency. That's like, mm-hmm. I think it's like third from the third or fourth from the end. I'd have to check the lineup. But that's a great one. My list, actually, I have in front of me, it was number 10 was Rhinoceros from Fargo, which is the first of many Hell Breaks Loose episodes. But that was one where I felt like the... The the narrative and the philosophy and the overall vibe of the show converged in just a perfect way. Uh, time and Life for Mad Men, the pilot of Catastrophe, mm-hmm. which we talked about at great length on this podcast, which was one of the best pilots I've ever seen, um, 12 Angry Men Inside Amy Schumer, which I can't even say the title of that without laughing. And it was so, <laughs> it was funny in and of itself, but they went the extra mile by modeling it so closely on 12 Angry Men, like right down to the look of it and mm-hmm. the black and white and And just I can't I can't think of that without hearing Paul Giamatti snarling all this profanity. (laughs) And it was just great. And, you know, you got John Hawks like waving a dildo and just so many great comic moments. Um, Five-O from Better Call Saul, which was the Jonathan Banks spotlight episode, which was amazing. International assassin from The Leftovers, the the hotel episode, yeah, yeah. which was you know, <laughs> that,
0: yep, it was something. It brought the, it, yeah.
3: it brought the Lynch. It brought the Lynch. The new season of Twin Peaks is really going to have to step it up after that. Um, Escape from L.A. Bojack Horseman, uh, which is the most Mad Minish of of those episodes. <laughs> Digestivo from Hannibal, which a lot of people were surprised I didn't pick one of the Red Dragon episodes, but that the conclusion of the Florence arc, which I thought was. Uh, reminded me of some of these pretentious art house films that i loved so much when you know i was growing up uh stingers from the americans and um no room at the end from the leftovers which is where matt and mary try to make their way back into jarden
0: oh yeah
2: i also i think the sort of oj trial episode of kimmy schmidt um yeah. <laughs> really like oh yeah it, that's a show that i think like i sort of hemmed and hawed about putting that on my top 10 list somewhere because i did really enjoy it i I feel okay about it not quite cracking that list but I think that episode really was like oh how weird will this show get and it's like pretty weird (laughs) like just sort of being willing to go that far I also think the season finale of Orange is the New Black you know with the sort of mikvah bath that we have and Mm -hmm. we have like like all these sort of moving pieces like click into place and we had this like really important i think resolution for the pensatucky sexual assault storyline and i think like that episode i thought the season was terrific on the whole and i thought that episode in particular we just had like a lot of really really terrific moments and it just like was a very good cap on a -hmm. very good season
0: thinking back to earlier in the year i wouldn't Necessarily put girls in, you know, my top whatever, but I thought this season was really great. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I almost forgot it happened this year. There was one episode with Mimi Rose where her and Hannah have a conversation together in a laundromat that That
3: really stuck with me. I love that episode. Yeah.
0: Um,
2: so
3: many delusions colliding mm-hmm, in that scene.
2: Exactly. I mean, I really liked this whole season of Girls. I thought all the stuff at Iowa was actually great. I know a lot of other people didn't care for it. I thought it was wonderful. I thought the the episode with New Rose, and we have that weird art show, like her sort of mm-hmm. performance art piece, and, and just like such an intense like moment of reckoning for Hannah, and I think that's a show that sometimes struggles to let its characters grow, and we want to see that happen because, you know, immaturity is not a good look on anyone. And behavior that is commonplace at 22 is is less okay at 26. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this season they did a really good job of like figuring out how Hannah was going to continue to develop. I think maybe not as good a job figuring out how everyone else is developing.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Well, Lena Dunham has this sort of Spike Lee, Oliver Stone, Quentin Tarantino sort of problem, by which I mean she herself is such an issue for so many people that I think right. that they— completely are unable to really watch the show and appreciate it for what it is. And I you know I guess maybe that some of that's on her, a lot of it probably is, a lot of it's on the media, a lot of it's on just social media users who want something to fight about and hate But um, the quality of that show is exceptional. It's always been exceptional. And um, I'm kind of looking forward to when the show is off the air and we have a little bit of distance from it. Because I think that like five, ten years down the road, people are going to look at the totality of girls. And then they're going to go back and read what was being written about Lena Dunham at the time that it was on the air and go, what the fuck was everyone's problem? like the magnitude uh, sexism. of the magnitude yeah. yes the is sexism. well yes that's like, exactly it that is it. everyone's problem that is it that is it and she was subject she has been subjected to all sorts of standards that are never applied to men in her situation nepotism being the stupidest charge against her you know but anyway that's a subject for another time but yeah that was great that was great and um, silicon valley which is so basically light that you don't necessarily always appreciate the level of craft mm-hmm. was all- also had a very good year
1: i
2: think oh, yeah. silicon valley like, plays with modes of humor more than other comedies ever bother with. So Silicon Valley can have, like, these like, very intricately plotted episodes where we have, like, a kind of planes, trains, and automobiles, like, like, oh, I, I have to get to this spot. And, like, The a absurdity of, of yeah, so like, when like, he's... He's trying to get back in yeah, the season finale. He can't like, even get back like, unplug yeah. the thing or like the computer. and so yeah. it's just these like series of like goofy physical impossible tasks of like, my car keys are gone or whatever. We have like yes. all this stuff. But what's also happening is like really like well constructed um plot mechanisms are ticking away and, and there's a reason that the people are either where they're supposed to be or not where they're supposed to be. It's very not contrived um and it moves like an action thriller you know like we have like a spy drama basically Mm -hmm. like working its way through also like you know ball
3: jokes basically (laughs) right yeah right so we have like it's like half of all jokes on that show ultimately
2: (laughs) um and and i think that's that's one of the things that is really extraordinary about that show
3: and and uh i don't want to detract from my appreciation for Mr. Robot just as an object like by you know saying that I had some issues with the back half of season one because the filmmaking on that was top 10 quality like you know along with I think it's up there with the Nick and Mad Men and Hannibal and and the leftovers just scene to scene episode to episode what they were doing like not just the stories that they were telling but how they were telling them and particularly the way they use voiceover and the way they combine this kind of borderline impassive, very internalized performance by uh, Remy Malik with his voiceover, which is very, very sophisticated, dryly funny voiceover. Mm-hmm. Like, it's one of the best voiceovers I've ever heard on television. And even when the plot was moving in directions that I that I didn't particularly like, I, I continued to appreciate those aspects of the show.
0: I also love their use of music, which I feel like we're seeing a lot more of on TV mm-hmm. this year, at least, in the finale, they used this Alabama Shakes song that I, was so perfect, perfectly placed. We, Fargo has been another one that's just... <sighs>
1: Fargo I mean,
0: is
3: unreal. The, 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 that, that is some deep cuts. Yeah. That show. <laughs> the soundtrack on that show. And Mad Men, you know, Mad Men has been doing it so well for so mm-hmm. long. that It's easy to take for granted how well they use music, and the Americans as well.
2: Yes. I will also rep for Transparent right now. I think the music oh, yeah. on that show is... Just, I mean, it, it's a show where the characters care a lot about music and talk about music. And so I think that creates like a slightly different set of like a different to do list for a music supervisor, right? Like, on a sh- so on period dramas, on shows like The Americans, we have options for music contemporary to the characters, but also music contemporary to us. And you have sort of like a bunch of ways you can approach that. I think when we have a bunch of characters who, you know, Josh on Transparent works in the music industry um so like how how does the music on that show reflect or not reflect his deal everyone else's deal how he's perceived um and i think this season does a really beautiful job i think
0: music supervisors in general are having a real banner year uh like
3: another one just
0: occurred to me halton catch fire yes yeah was a a great show another season two
3: uh miracle (laughs)
0: Yeah. yeah yeah they did an incredible job and i've also noticed that a lot more shows are making an effort to pick like a great song to
3: play over the credits which yes. like Silicon
0: Valley I always wait for the credits to hear what <laughs> yeah. song they play because it's always so fun
3: well and yeah when you choose a song in an intelligent way in a subtle way and you place it at the end of the episode it retroactively colors your perceptions mm-hmm. of the entire half hour or hour that came before exactly. that's really really tricky like that's almost the plum spot there, like, because that's the, here's what we leave you with.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: One of the best shows that did that was um, was Deadwood, which was set in the 19th century, but they always ended with a tw- piece of 20th century pop music. And I always and it was perfect, especially when it ran in front of the Sopranos, because it was like they were easing you out of the 19th century and into the 20th, 20th and 21st <laughs> by that. Like, you'd suddenly have all these, cow, you know, gnarly-faced cowboys cursing each other out, and then suddenly there'd be a Bob Dylan song. You're like, oh, and we're back in the world now. <laughs> Um, Mr. Robot, I think, had some of the best of that stuff. I would say generally I'm seeing more sophistication in the use of music where it's not simply, you know, I just went through a breakup and I feel really sad and here's a sad song about the breakup on the soundtrack. Like right. We're not seeing right. as much of that I now.
0: used to like... That said, I used to like compile soundtracks of songs on Alias because I I love them, <laughs> <laughs> but like, <laughs> but they weren't like they they were more to convey the emotions of whatever the character was feeling, as opposed to like speaking to larger themes of the show necessarily. The
3: Leftovers had one of the best um uses of music this year because it used certain key pieces of music over and over. We talked about this a little bit last week, but it's intriguing to me that both Mr. Robot and The Leftovers used that um Where Is My Mind by the Pixies. Yeah. And I think that I have to give the I, I think the victor here would have to be The Leftovers mm-hmm. because where on Mr. Robot that song was used to basically kind of prefigure this revelation that yeah it's a Tyler Durden type on the of nose, situation. Yeah. Um, On the leftovers, it's, it's faking you out. It's like you think that you're in a Tyler Durden situation, but it's actually something else entirely. And then they come in with the acoustic. Which kind of gave me the chills, and then they brought it in again at the end of the season. Great show! Third season, they got a third season. That is so happy. So happy, but it's kind of a
0: nice compromise because it's the final one. Yeah, we'll see.
3: I'm sure that HBO's first duty was to make Matt and Margaret happy the next time they record a podcast. So good, good job, HBO.
0: That's it for this week's Vulture TV podcast. Don't forget to email us your questions or comments at tvquestions@vulture.com, at vulture.com or leave us a voicemail at 646-504-7673. The Vulture TV podcast is produced by Sam Dingman and Sarah Abdurrahman. Thanks also to Laura Mayer and Andy Bowers. The Vulture TV podcast is part of the Panoply Network. Check out our entire roster of podcasts at itunes.com panoply. I'm Gazella Mami, and you can find me on Twitter at Gazellephant. I'm Margaret Lyons, and you can find me on Twitter at Marge In Charge.
3: I'm Matt Zoller-Seitz, and you can find me on Twitter at Matt Seitz.
0: Thanks for listening.